Let's pray together. Father, as always, we want to pause and not just recognize the truths of what we just sang and what we just read on the screen, but also, God, recognize our need, our need for you to help us. The most amazing truth, God, is that you get glory when we get help. And so we want to glorify you as much as we possibly can by recognizing our need, our dependence upon you. And so, God, we want these truths that we've sang and that we've seen and we're about to dig into in your word, God, we want these truths to be true in our life. We want what you say to us, about us, about you. We want those to be true. We want to believe them. We want to come to know everything that you have for us. And so God, as we open up your word now, we ask you to help us. Help us to see and to hear and to know and believe these great words. We believe it is your truth and we believe that you gave us these words so that we can have everything that you want for us, which ultimately is to have life in Jesus. So would you create that now? Would you grant that now in Jesus' name? Amen. We started last week in John chapter 17, if you were here, which is a, a pivotal chapter because it's really the chapter in between everything that Jesus said to his disciples in the last few days in chapters 14 through 16 and then into 18 and in chapter 18 to the end of the book, Jesus is going to head to the cross. And so we'll actually get into chapter 18 next year and kind of march right into Easter as a result of what's going to happen in the future there in chapters 18, 19, 20. But chapter 17 specifically, if you were here last week, we talked about how this whole chapter is called the high priestly prayer. It is the prayer that Jesus prays, and there's three parts to it. He prays for himself, he prays for the current disciples, and then for the future ones. And so if you were here last week, we talked about the first part of that high priestly prayer where Jesus prayed for himself. And we talked about how he prayed. This is the legit Lord's Prayer. This is him actually praying, not that the one in Matthew 6 is not the Lord's Prayer. That's a template he gave us. But this is the Lord actually praying. And so we can look at what he prayed and use that to help us pray as well. So we talked last week, it's okay to pray for yourself. And we should pray the way Jesus prayed for himself. And the whole concept last week, which seems foreign to us, is glorify me. But that is put weight behind what I'm doing so that I might glorify you. And this week, what we're going to see, in fact, for the next three weeks, including this week, we're going to look at this, the middle part or the meatiest part of this prayer. And I just love meat, so therefore it's on my mind. And I guess it's thinking about Thanksgiving and all the great meat we're going to eat. God bless turkeys. And so the concept is in this section, which we're going to take a little bit of time, Jesus praying for his disciples that were there at that time. 
Now, obviously, it was for them, those believers at that time. And then the last part is the future believers, which would apply to us, because at that point in time, when he said it, we were the future ones. But I think it's okay now to read this section as this applying to us, because we are now, if you follow Jesus, you are one of his current disciples, and so we can look at that, and then we can think about the future ones that are going to believe in the future from now. And so these sections, uh, this middle section in particular, we're going to see and study again to see how Jesus is praying for us. Now this week, we're not actually going to get into his prayer, those will be the next two weeks, because what Jesus is going to do this week in verses 6 through 10, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there, John 17, 6 through 10, we're going to see the grounds for which Jesus prays for the disciples. And so he's going to, now he is praying and he's talking to God, he's saying these things to God, but it's so intriguing to me, the things that he says, what about he's done, before he actually prays for us. So let's go John chapter 17, verse six and seven. We're gonna look at first and we'll stop and chat about it. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Verse seven, now they know that everything you have given me is from you. A couple things here. What's interesting, in verse six, he says, I have manifested your name to them. Now this word here, manifested, is the same Greek word for other places in the Bible where you might see the word revealed or revelation. And so the concept of revelation is this same word, so you could translate it, and some other translations will say, I have revealed your name to them, I have manifested. The concept is to make known something. So the concept of revelation is not just a book in the Bible, the last book, and I said this many times, it's not revelations, it's revelation, singular. Just like it's not Walmarts and it's not Kroger's. All right, it's Walmart and it's Kroger. It's Revelation, so one of my big pet peeves, all right? And the reason why is because the book title of Revelation is written by the same author of this gospel and he was writing about future events. He was making known, if you will. That's why it's called Revelation. He's making known what's currently unknown, which is the future events. Now there's a lot of speculation about what that book means. I've said this many times. There'll be a time, hopefully, Lord willing, in the future, we'll walk through that book because I do think that book has a lot to teach us. And we should study that book because here's the deal. In fact, this will be kind of my whole point as we walk through this message today. We should want to know everything that God has made known, right? We should want to know everything that God has made known. But here's the key. We can only know what he's made known. We can only know what he's made known. 
This is the concept, biblically speaking, of revelation. And there's two kind of primary categories that theologians will use when they're talking about the revelation of God or God making himself known or God revealing to us or manifesting himself to us. And those two categories, and I'm gonna break these down for you. The first one, I have it here on the screen, is called general revelation. General revelation. Now, this might sound a little bit like a seminary course, but hang with me because it's so important to understand. General revelation is this. It refers to the general truths that can be known about God through natural means, i.e. creation, nature. So when we're talking about revelation, we're talking about things that are true or things that God has made known in one very general sense. Now, don't stone me here. You have to understand God has revealed himself in a general sense outside of this Bible. So let me say it like this. Everything that can be known about God is not limited to this Bible in a general sense. And the reason why we know that is this Bible itself tells us that. Look at Romans chapter one, verse 19 and 20. I have it as a reference here on the screen. He says, for what can be known about God, again, what he's made known, revelation, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. He has manifested it. He has revealed it. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. Now listen to this. Ever since the creation of the world and in the things that have been made. You know, as we've progressed throughout human history, we fight different fights. And, and the fight in the modern world, we're no longer in the modern world, this was decades ago, was science against the Bible, right? And, and if you were around then, and it tapered off some, but particularly during the Industrial Revolution and even into the last century as well, as people were starting to discover new things about our observable world, they would observe things and then they would make hypothesis about how those things got here. And so there was this kind of battle between science and Bible, or science and faith. And it really rocked a lot of people because science started hypothesizing about things, about how the world got here, right? Things like Darwinism, things like the Big Bang Theory, right? How the world got here. But here's what you need to know. Scientists, as they were observing the natural world, were trying to find a reason for how it got here by only natural means, not supernatural means, which is why I love G.K. Chesterton. He was a uh, believer, author that lived in the UK in the last century, and he described it as a mountain. And he said, everybody basically that's smart is going to be climbing up the mountain and they're going to get to the top and realize that the theologians have been there all along. And so there was this epic battle between science and the Bible because people were hypothesizing about theories, namely evolution. 
And they were looking at the observable data because you know that's all that science is. It's the empirical method. We look at it, we study it, and then we make hypothesis about what we see. So they were hypothesizing and they saw evolution on a micro sense and then jumped to evolution on a macro sense, which by the way, has never been proven scientifically. And then hypothesized. And so people were starting to like, oh, well, what does that mean for our faith? And here's why I'm saying this. I do not believe science and the Bible contradict. I think we can see in nature, in creation, general truths that tell us about God. So we don't have to be scared of it is what I'm saying to you. Because here's what we know to be true in nature. Anything that's designed and built has a designer and a builder. That's what the evidence shows. That's what life shows. That's what rational thought says, right? Because I don't know about you, but have you ever walked into your kids' rooms and it just magically cleaned itself? You ever walked into your kitchen and the dishes just magically got washed and put up? No, there was a mover, a designer, a builder behind it. That's observable. So that makes the most rational sense. Now, again, I'm not going to spend a ton of time. This isn't a message about that specifically, just generally, because I want you to see something. Uh, Psalms argues like this as well. But Paul is saying in the book of Romans, listen, you can look at creation. You can look at nature. God has revealed himself, generally speaking. You can know general truths about, you know what, there's a designer. You know what, there's a creator. Because nothing was designed, nothing was created unless someone designed it and created it. So that's general revelation. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus isn't talking about general revelation. He's talking about the second kind of revelation that theologians have categorically made about this. So look at this when I have it here on the screen. This is called special revelation. Special revelation. And here's why it's called that. It refers to the specific truths. The specific truths that can be known about God. Now watch this. Through supernatural means. In parentheses, i.e. Jesus Christ and our Bibles. So our Bible is an example of special revelation. You can know general things about God by looking at nature, by looking at creation, but you can't know specific things about God unless you read the book he wrote. And the key to understanding the book he wrote is the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, the entire Old Testament was looking forward to him the entire God, New Testament broken up. The Gospels are about him, which is what we're reading, Gospel of John. And then Acts to the book of Revelation, or Acts to before the book of Revelation, is the result of him. And then the book of Revelation is the final revealing of him. So your whole Bible is about the special knowledge or the specific knowledge that you can have about God. Namely, 
about Jesus. Let me give you two supporting texts. Hebrews chapter, 11, or chapter one. I quote this one all the time, but I wanna show it to you. Because again, I want you to understand where I get these things. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. It says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Verse two, but in these last days. People ask me all the time, do you think we're in the last days? Yep, because Hebrews 1 says we is. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world, which is interesting. In that one, you get general revelation and specific revelation or special revelation. In the world, the creation of it, which is through Christ, and we got the special revelation of God through Christ. So we got the general one and we got the special one. So here's what I need you to hear me say. God has revealed everything we need to know about the special revelation, which is Jesus, in this book called the Bible. And here's why that's so important. This is what we call, this is a canon, which means a book, and it's closed. It was put together in 5th century AD, and there were specific measures as to why certain books got in and other books didn't. People ask me occasionally, hey, what about those lost books of the Bible? I want you to know, there are no lost books. Now, there are other ones, the Apocrypha, right? Other books that didn't get in because they didn't pass the mustard. I don't know why we say that. I think it should be they didn't pass the ketchup because I'm a ketchup fan, all right, but whatever. Mustard is the biblical, right, you know, condiment because Jesus talks about faith of a mustard seed. Maybe that's why. But the key was they had to be eyewitnesses to Jesus. Every gospel writer, eyewitnesses to Jesus, and it had to be written within that time frame where they actually saw or spoke to or listened to Jesus. So any of the other books were not put in because they didn't meet that criteria. But here's what you need to know. Everything that you need to know about God, his special revelation is in this book. You do not need other books outside of this book to know what you need to know about God. I've had this argument with Mormons that have come by my house many times. They quit coming because they realized I was a pastor and I got them to admit finally that they believe in a different thing other than Christianity. But they have a Book of Mormon and they have this really like fancy way of saying it. This is what they told me. If you took a Bible and you put a nail through it, you could spin it. It's not locked. They said, but if you put the Book of Mormon on top of the Bible, put another nail through it, it's locked. I said, or you just put two nails through the same book. Right? Fancy. I don't need the Book of Mormon. Why? Because it was written almost 1,800 years later. I don't need the Quran. It was written 600 years later. So here's what I'm saying. Anybody who tries to get you to read anything or believe anything specifically about God that is not in this book, it ain't God's special revelation. His special revelation was given to us in Jesus Christ 
which was written down in this book. Look at what 2 Timothy chapter uh, 3, verse 16 and 17 says. This is how the Bible speaks about itself. All scripture is breathed out by God. When you speak words, what are you doing? You're breathing out, right? So if this is breathed out, then what Paul was saying is these are God's words. He breathed them out. The Holy Spirit is called the breath or the wind. So that's how it happened. Through the Holy Spirit, breathed out by God. Now listen to this. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now Paul was writing this to Timothy, who was a pastor. So that's what he was telling him. It doesn't mean that it's only good for the man of God. It's good for the woman of God too. But he was specifically writing this to the pastor at the time, Timothy. He was saying, everything you need to know to build you up, to correct you, is in this. It's the scriptures. So that is God's special revelation. So you understand the two categories now, all right? So when Jesus says he manifested God's name to them, he's saying, I've given them your special revelation. I have made known to them what you told me to make known because they're yours. Now look at, let's go back to John chapter 17, verse eight. I don't know if you ever think about this much, but you have to say, okay, well, why? Why did he give this? Look at this. He says, for I have given them the words that you gave me and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. I have given them, they have received them. I've given them, they've received them. This is what I was saying earlier. We should want to know everything that God has given, but we can only receive what he's given, right? We can only know what he's made known. And what he was saying for, remember, this is kind of the preamble. This is the setup or the grounding for the actual prayer of the disciples. We'll get into those in the next two weeks. But the grounding of the prayers is the word of God. He says, I've given them everything that you've had, you have for them, and they've received it. But here's what's amazing to me. Why did God give it? Not just so that we can receive it. Two things he says there so that we can come to know and believe. Come to know and believe. Let me give you this point, and I'm gonna unpack it. This is where I get real excited. God has given his revelation because he wants us to receive these results. God has given us his revelation because he wants us to receive these results. What results? Two things there that Jesus says. Come to know truth. What's interesting, um, if you've been around, you know, I like prepositions. And so he says, they have come to know in truth. Well, the in, the preposition is not actually there in the Greek. It should just read, have come to know truth or have come to know truly. And so here's what he's saying. I gave it, they received it, and they've come to know. So check this. He wants us to receive something 
so that it reproduces, it produces the result of us knowing truth. Because if we know truth, then we can believe. So here's what I love about God. And I don't think this gets highlighted enough in church, which is why I'm highlighting it. Because people tend to dog the word of God. In fact, they call it dogma, right? If you've ever studied philosophy, that's a belief system. I remember I was studying philosophy in college and someone said this phrase, their karma ran over their dogma. I was like, I don't know what that means. So I'm like, what the heck does that mean? Well, the idea of karma is, you know, you do good, good comes back to you, you do bad, bad comes back to you. Dogma is your belief system. And so what he was saying is life ran over his belief. He did believe and then life ran him over. It's like, oh, okay. why didn't you just say that, bro? So people don't speak well of the word of God. And this is what amazes me about people. And the reason why they don't speak well of the word of God, because Romans tells us they don't love God. What's interesting, in the Old Testament, God revealed himself to Moses. If you know about the story at the burning bush, God says, Moses, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And he's like, cool, I'll do that. Who should I tell him that sent me? He goes, you tell him that I am sent you. Okay, I'll tell him. Who are you? He was like, yes, that's right. What? Yeah. I am. It means to be. And I've said this many times. In Hebrew, it is the word Yahweh. They didn't have vowels, so it was very guttural. So like the word hallelujah is hallel means to praise. Yah is the shortened version of Yahweh. So it's really hallelujah, which means praise God. Or you could say praise the one who is. So his name Yahweh means he is. Well, here's why everybody looks for a natural reason to explain how the world got here. It's because if there's a God, then he can make demands on me. So people don't want Yahweh. People want their own way. Right? I heard someone say the other day, my way is Yahweh. I'm like, that'll preach right there, boy. So the common refrain today, not just today, all the way back to Adam and Eve, is Yahweh's not Yahweh. My way's Yahweh. I don't exist because he existed and made me. I exist because I'm a happenstance of random particles coming together. So therefore, I can do what I want. And this is why people dog the word of God. But, but God and his word get such a bad rap because they don't understand why he gave it. Listen, he gave us his revelation, his word, because he wants us to receive these results. He wants us to know truth. And Jesus said, right, in John 8, if you abide in my words, my words abide in you, you will know the truth. I say this all the time, and the truth will set you what? Not slaves. Free. So he wants you to know truth so that you can receive freedom. So if you haven't received freedom in your life, there's some truth you don't know. 
And if there's some truth you don't know, then there's some revelation you haven't received yet. But he wants to give it to you so that you can know it, believe it, and have the results. Look at what John says. John 20, verse 30, 31. I've pulled this verse up many times. We'll pull it up many times again. This is John telling us why he wrote the book. Check this. John 20, verse 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Later, he tells us they outnumber the grains of sand on the seashores. That's a lot of signs. And then he says this in verse 31, but these are written. These are written. This word is written. This book is written. This special revelation is written. Why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And check this. And don't you just love them? I love conjunctions. And you know, the best two words in the Bible said all the time, but God, but we don't just get, but we get and too. But God made us alive together with Christ and seated us at the right hand. Thank God for some conjunctions, y'all. And that by believing you may have life in his name. I don't think we really believe this. I don't think we really believe that God gave us this revelation so that we could receive these results. Here's why I don't think we believe it. Because we don't receive the revelation. We listen to what social media says that we are. I've said this many times. You want to know, I mean, I, this isn't argument, by the way. This is science. It is now observable that the more you're on social media, the more anxious of a person you'll be. It's observable. Why? Because social media is downloading into you a revelation. It's making known to you some stuff and you're receiving it. But what result is it producing? Anxiety. See, this is life and death. But what would happen if we put the phone away for a little bit? We got into this revelation and we started receiving not what TikTok says that we should believe, but we, but we start receiving what this book says we should believe. What's the result going to be of that? Life. Joy. Peace. Do you really believe that God gave his revelation because he wants you to receive these results? Or do you believe that God gave you this revelation because he is out to kill your fun? Then why don't you tithe? Then why don't you serve? Then why don't you forgive those who've hurt you? Why don't you love your neighbor as yourself? Why don't you love your spouse as if they're you? Right? That's the revelation. 
Maybe we're not receiving these results because we're not receiving the revelation. We're not receiving his words. Now again, I'm not, I know plenty of well-meaning people that are really trying to receive it and still struggling. I'm not saying it's just somehow magical, but here's all I'm saying. If you have a disciplined diet of receiving this revelation, it will produce desired results. It's what God says. He says, this is my word. It always goes forth and accomplishes the purpose for which I sent it. Hebrews says it's a double-edged sword dividing between marrow and bone. What does that mean? Dividing between false and truth. But so often we're receiving these other results or mixed results because we're mixing in God's revelation with the world's revelation. We're believing what the world is making known to us about who we are and whose we are instead of believing what the Bible says who we are and whose we are. Have you noticed Jesus says over and over, they're yours? They're yours. They were yours, and then you gave them to me. Look, look, look. He says it again. John 17, verse 9 and 10. He says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are what? Uh, let's try that again. Come on. I need, I need you. For they are what? Yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. If you're in Christ, you're his. And if you're his, why would you not receive his words about you? We have a colloquial phrase, who's your daddy? Right? And it's funny, I don't know if you ever played sports or did any kind of competition, and I don't know if this is uniquely a male thing, but it is definitely a male thing. I don't know what females say, because I'm not one. But when you played sports and you competed against somebody and you would, you know, get up on them, you'd say, who's your daddy? Which is a really weird thing to say. I, I used to be funny when people said that. It didn't happen often because I'm kind of big, but the few times it did, say, who's your daddy? John Curtis. I would just say it right back to him, you know. Why do you ask the question, who's your daddy? It's colloquial phrase because what we're saying is, I'm your daddy and you're mine. I own you. Let me ask you a question. Who's your daddy? Let me ask it a different way. Whose words own you? Whose words own you? Because see, God brought about the world by his word. And other people can bring about worlds into your word world by their word. This is why I don't believe the phrase, sticks and stones might break my bones, but words will never. That's a lie. 
I would much rather you break my bone. That heals. You break my heart, though, that word gets lodged. But here's the thing. This is why the Bible and the gospel isn't weirdo cycle Bible. Sac, sac, you know what I'm trying to say. See, the Bible says you got to take captive every thought, right? You got to do exactly what God did when he walked in to the cool of the day in the garden and Adam and Eve said we were naked because we were ashamed. So we hid and God said, who told you that? I didn't tell you that. See, the fundamental flaw, the fundamental sin is Adam and Eve let someone else become their daddy. They let somebody else's words determine who they were and whose they were. This is why I say all the time, Jesus didn't die just to get us to heaven. He didn't die just to get us to a place. He died to get us to a person. To get you back to your father so that your father's words could define your worth. That's what they do. And here's what's amazing. Jesus said, I'm glorified in them. I'm glorified in them. Last week, if you were here, we talked a lot about glory, weightiness, right? Jesus said, glorify me. That was the title of the message. So it's interesting. Jesus is asking the Father to glorify him so that he might glorify the Father and then give eternal life to those that he's given him. And then he says, I gave them your word. They received it. They know it's true. They've believed it. And so now I'm glorified in them. Let me give you this last point and we're done. Jesus is glorified in us when we receive all the revelation he has given us. Jesus is glorified in us when we receive all the revelation. The title of this week's message is Receive the Revelation. So let me say it in another way. Jesus is not fully glorified in us when we only receive part of the revelation. I'm pretty sure if we did a straw poll and I said, who here wants to glorify God? If you're a believer, your hand would go up because you know that's why you were made. It's the first statement of the Westminster Confession, Catechism. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But I love how John Piper put a one word twist on it. He said, and glorify God by enjoying him forever. See, the, the way that I can glorify God the most is by receiving everything he has for me. The way that I can glorify God the most is by enjoying God over everything.
But I wonder if the reason why we're not glorifying God is because we haven't received all the revelation that he has for us. And this is what I think is the great indictment about Christians, not just today, but throughout history. We want to receive so many other things from God than his revelation. You know, I didn't grow up in church. I've said that many times, but when I went to church, it was a real conservative church. We didn't talk about the Holy Spirit. So it wasn't charismatic. It wasn't Pentecostal. But then as I got older and had more experiences, I went to several charismatic, more Pentecostal, spirit-filled churches. And during the gathering, there was always a time where people would be down front and they would come, they would ask you to come down front to receive almost always healing. Now, I want you to hear me. I do not think it's bad or wrong to receive healing. I think it's good and right to ask for it. The Bible says, lay hands, anoint with oil. It is not bad or wrong to receive healing. But I'll never forget I was in this one, and it freaked me out, y'all. Like, people were coming down front, and they were praying for them, and they would like, they would say, receive it, and then the person would fall out. I'm like, I ain't never seen no receiving like that. Right? And so I'm like, well, if y'all are giving, I'm receiving. So I went down front. They prayed for me. I don't know if it was their hand or the hand of God, but they put their hand on me and I fell out straight up. And I just like laid there. And then I was like, do I get up now? I don't know what we do here. And again, I'm not saying that's bad or wrong, but here's what I am saying. My only problem sometimes with spirit-filled ministries like that is the focus is mostly on receiving physical healing more than it is receiving spiritual revelation. Let me ask you a question. If you could ask God for one thing and one thing only, would it be to receive all the revelation he has for you? Or would it be to heal you? Or fix something? Or do something? And again, I'm not saying any of that's bad. But what I'm saying is this. I think the great indictment on Christians is we want something from God more than we want God. But here's what the Bible says, the greatest gift he ever gave you was the revelation of his son. That's the gift. That's what you can receive. And I mean, I'll go as Pentecostals, we need to go. Receive it, receive it. We'll knock you over with the word of God. Receive it. Receive the revelation. Receive all God is for you in Christ Jesus. 
Build your life on it. Jesus says, that's the rock. Build your life on it. Because when you receive all the revelation that he has for you, when you know who he is, you know who you are in him, and you know what he wants you to do because he calls you out of the world, and we'll get into this in a few weeks, and he's sending you right back into the world, which again is another one of my problems. Everybody wants God to take them out. He's like, no, I'm not gonna take you out. I'm gonna leave you in. Because leaving you in requires you to know more of me. So why would I take you out of the very thing that I brought you into so that you could know me more? Receive the revelation. Because he wants to give it to you so that you can receive all the results that he has for you. The fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, righteousness, holiness. He gave it so that you could receive. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you gave God, we're getting into the holiday season and the best way to honor someone who is giving a gift is to receive it. So the story of the gospel is not clean ourselves up, make ourselves right with you. The, the story of the gospel is to receive what you did to make us right. Receive the gift of salvation. Receive the gift of Jesus who is the revelation, who is the word of God made flesh, dwelt among us. We've seen his glory. And he came to give us everything you have for us. The second Corinthians 1 says, all the promises of God are a yes in Christ. But God, we know that there are people, people here today that have not received Jesus And so they need to be saved. So I pray right now, God, that you would open their eyes so they could receive, come to know, believe that Jesus is the Christ and in believing have life. No one looking around or talking here as we close. If you've never trusted in Jesus, the invitation today is not you do something, you earn something, it's receive something. Receive by faith or by grace through faith Christ and you'll be saved. And how you receive it is you ask. So you can pray with me. You don't have to do it out loud. You want to trust Christ, be saved. It goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me. I want to receive Jesus. I confess I'm a sinner I need a savior. Would you save me? In faith, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. So would you forgive me? I want life in his name. Again, no one looking around or talking. But if you're in one of our physical locations and you just prayed to trust Christ, would you just simply lift up your hand so we can see that? 
We got men and women gonna walk around and put a gift in your hand and when they do, you can put it down. And then those of us who have trusted Christ, I want you to understand, you never stop receiving. Now the revelation is closed. God has revealed himself in Christ, put it in a book. But if you're anything like me, there's still some parts of this revelation that you haven't received yet. There's still some truths that God wants you to know, to believe so that you can have life. He gave it so that you could receive the results of life and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control and gifts and empowerment. So I don't know what it is in your life. Let me say it like this. I don't know who it is in your life whose words are defining your worth. Whosever words are defining your worth is your daddy. And today, you have the opportunity. You don't need to get saved again, but you do need to repent and say, Father, I want to receive your revelation. I want to receive your words. So I don't know what specific truth about the Bible or that's in the Bible that you need, but if the Holy Spirit is bringing something to your mind that he wants you to know and believe so that you can have these results, believe it. Study it. Get this book in you. Father, I pray. I pray, God, that we would receive your revelation, your special revelation, your specific revelation to us in Christ so that we can have everything you want us to have. We can receive everything you want us to receive. So help us, God, to believe your word, trust you, and receive it. Because that's how we glorify you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.